0: If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning or scrolling to Matthew uh, 15 verses 21 to 28. Matthew 15 verses 21 to 28. Good morning. So my name's Raj. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. Um, if you're a visitor here, so great to have you with us. Uh, so great to have you join us this morning. We are first and foremost family and friends together of all ages, backgrounds, and cultures. It's great to see that week in, week out. So if you are new, keep coming. We'd love to see you again. Um, one summer's day in late in the late 19th century London, a group of friends decided to visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle uh, to hear the great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Held by many as the British prince of preachers, they wanted to see the man man in person who had built a church from just 200 people to 10,000, and who had equipped an army of students to plant similar churches across the U.K., And so they were greeted at the door of the tabernacle by a man who offered them, as as you do, a tour of the building. Would you like to see the church's heating system, the church's heating plant, He he asked them. And without waiting for a reply, he herded them down a flight of stairs. He slowly pushed open an unimpressive door and declared with an excited whisper, This is our heating plant. The friends were startled by a roar of 700 people fervently praying before the service, which was about to begin upstairs. Amused that his trick had been successful, the man himself extended his hand and said, Oh, by the way, I'm Charles Spurgeon. And that's how we greeted them. Since the church has started, coming back to our church, since the church has started to open after the final COVID restrictions, whenever they were, our heating system, if I'm honest, has been running slightly, at a slightly lower temperature than we'd like. A lot of you are finding difficult, if you like, to get back in the groove or the habit of monthly prayer meetings. So if that's you... I want to invite you back. I'm not going to give you anything, but I want to invite you back verbally. What did Gavin say last week? Faith <clears throat> faith must triumph over logic if we want to see kingdom growth and jubilee. The prayer meeting is our school of faith. So tonight Azad is going to be sharing his story it's going to be exciting. We're going to be praying for our Salaam group, brothers and sisters. We're going to be asking uh, for a miracle in Ghana. More about that tonight. We're going to be praying for healing and to see more of signs, wonders, and healing in the church. And remember, from today onwards, if you remember what I said last week, our prayer meeting will be open to your friends and family who, who need prayer, who you think. Would benefit from prayer, who need to encounter, who need an encounter with the living Jesus himself. So, hopefully, I'll see you, a lot more of you there tonight, if that's okay. Not because you have to, but because he delights in you. We got that this morning, didn't we? During the worship. He delights in you, Jubilee. He delights in you. So, where have we got to? In Matthew, we've been doing this series called Come the Revolution. Where have we got to in the uh, disciple, the apostle Matthew, the disciple Matthew's revolutionary plan for it. We've got to Matthew 15. And just to explain a little bit about the context of today's passage, in here, Jesus, or at the start of Matthew 15, Jesus is causing offense. Many people who were following Jesus and watching his movements and listening to what he had to say, were realizing that maybe he is the hope that the prophets were talking about centuries before. He is the Messiah, the real deal. God himself. But some were not so chuffed. The religious establishment were not impressed. In in chapter 12, if you remember, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from that place. Jesus knew the situation. So in the midst of this tension, we go to Matthew 15, uh, verses 21 to 28. It reads like this, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, "'Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. "'My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly.' Jesus did not answer a, a word. He ignored her, seemingly. So his disciples came to him and urged him, "'Send her away, for she is crying out after us.' He answered her, "'I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came in persistence and knelt before him, a sign of respect and honor and humility and desperation all rolled into one. Lord, help me, she said. This lady won't take no for an answer. And so he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yikes. By the way, check out Jesus' subtle, evangelistic, seeker-friendly style. <laughs> but she doesn't stop, this woman. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Oh, woman, you have great faith. If it doesn't say, oh, in your Bible. It is there. Oh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Wow and yikes, all at the same time. We need to pray. Yes, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that throughout that worship, you have been magnifying your name. I thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, that you are a compassionate, loving, loving God loving God, drawing us in, drawing us in and and pouring out an avalanche of grace daily on us. So help us this morning as we unpack this difficult passage so that we can see your heart and your love for the church, this nation, the nations, and everywhere and everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus is on the retreat deliberately to Tyre and Sidon. Why? Because Tyre and Sidon was a thoroughly non-Jewish place, a place where no one cared or knew really about Jesus. But then, surprisingly to Jesus, maybe, he was confronted by this Canaanite woman. As you know, women in Jesus culturally, traditionally weren't meant to Be so forward with men. So that was one issue. We know that already from other encounters with Jesus in Matthew. We've been through those, haven't we? Much, much, much worse, though. She was a Canaanite woman. Goodbye, good guys, or bad guys? Good guys, bad guys. Not just bad guys, but the baddest guys, actually. They were the arch nemesis of the Jewish people, the Canaanites. Ethnically, religiously, generationally, racially, distant, completely separate. And what does she say across such separation hurdles and dissonance? She says this. Lord, son of David, in other words, messianic king, the one we've been waiting for, have mercy on me. You feel it, right? There's a tension There's a tension right here. So how does Jesus respond? Nothing. Stonewall. Talk to the hand. Maybe. Maybe not. The New Living Translation translates it like this. But Jesus gave her no reply. Not even a word. This is odd, right? When I read my Bible, these things stand out to me. I'm sure they're standing out to you. We know Jesus is always right there with a response to these kinds of people. He does it all the time. They're the ones most on Jesus' heart. The hurting people, the distant people, people at the end of all their resources. Jesus is always right there. But this time, the message paraphrase reads, Jesus ignored her. You don't like Jesus now, do you? Well, wait till we get to the next bit. And then, and and, and the disciples actually feel this vibe too, don't they? They press Jesus to send this riff-raff lady marching out. Get rid of her. But he doesn't do that either, does he? Instead he says, I was, I was, instead he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the Canaanite woman is not part of that group. She knows it. And actually, this should take us back to chapter 10, if you remember, when Jesus was expanding his mission, training up 12 disciples, and he sends them out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather, Jesus says to them, to the lost sheep of Israel. Start with the Jewish people who he says are lost. And he continues to say to them, and as you grow, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Why is Jesus so laser focused right now on the people of Israel to start with? Well, he's been faithful to what the prophet said. It's like he's heard God and then doing what he's been told to do. We could all learn from that, couldn't we? Isaiah 2 reads like this. Phrases it, phrase it like this. The, the mission of Jesus, that's how he phrases it. In the last days, the, moment, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, Israel. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob, Israel. The law, God's truth and righteousness, will go out from Zion, God's people, Israel, lots of different words for a similar thing, will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, out from Jerusalem. But it all starts here, Jesus is saying, with the lost sheep, of Israel, But then, if you read Isaiah 2, it goes on to say, doesn't it, ultimately, however, he will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. There's hope. They will, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, or in modern-day language, he will beat their submach- uh, submachine guns and grenade launchers into ambulances and hospital beds and feeding utensils. Things that give life, not take away life. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come descendants of Jacob, Jacob, the lost sheep of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what's happening here. And so when he says, "I I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, this is what he's getting at. And he wants to draw his disciples in the big plan of God. Not just right now, but what's been happening in the past, leading them into the future. Ultimately, we know what the Great Commission is about. Jesus tells us, go and make disciples of all nations. But to start with, the focus is the lost sheep of Israel in this story. With 12 disciples mirroring the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the plan. That's what God said. Jesus is being faithful to Scripture. And so this lady at this very moment in time lands at this point in Jesus' ministry, a crucial point in Jesus' ministry. And she is persistent. She won't let go. She is a woman of faith. And then comes this very unusual dialogue that we don't really like. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, Is it not right to take the children's... It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Woof, woof. Last week we had roars, lions, roars. This week it's woof, woof. Jesus is trying to be compassionate here. He's trying to get people to think why he ticks. Um, he's trying to unpack what it is that is going on in this big picture. It wouldn't be my strategy, just saying, but something is going on. So, this Canaanite woman doesn't back down, does she? She says, oh, yes, it is, says the woman. What, we are your salvation mission, Jesus, too. That's what she's saying, essentially. And he's going, oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, David, she might want to lock those doors and keep in case people want to run out now. What is going on? This is a tricky passage, isn't it? But it's dynamite. Is Jesus really calling her a dog? I'm not sure he is, actually. Not directly. Not directly. But I do think he is highlighting the very well-known animosity and rage between the Canaanites and the Jewish people of the day that had been raging for centuries. That's what he's trying to get across here. It was bad. But really, this dog dialogue is actually kind of a mini parable, a kind of visual aid, if you like. Now... Let me help. I have a dog. She's called Shadow. Let's have a big O for Shadow. Come on. Oh no no no! Really big O, please. Don't like dogs then, do you? (laughs) Meet Shadow when she was little, Um, and when I so when I feed the family. I have priorities. First, I'll feed the kids. Then I'll cook for Charlotte. And then, and only then, if there's any leftovers, I sometimes give it to Shadow, who will eat it. Now, I know that some of you do it uh, the other way around. I know Jonathan and Daisy have a beautiful relationship with one another. I'm sure Angela gets very jealous now and then when a full English appears um, before Daisy and just conflicts for her. But most of us don't have dog infatuitus. So that's how I feed the household. Firstly, the family, then the dog. This is what Jesus is getting, on, getting at. But this lady knows Jesus' ultimate mission is bigger than that. She already knows that. She sees into Jesus. She sees beyond just the now. She knows his abundance. She replies, yeah, Jesus, but you but, but you, what you have to give is a good measure, the Bible tells us, tells us. pressed down, shaken together, running over, isn't it? You're the bread of life, the one in whom your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures ever no, evermore, the one whose grace is like an avalanche. There are always crumbs left over and much, much more. That's what she's saying. In fact, you, she, she, she go, in fact, really probably what she's saying is, you showed us last week, didn't you, Jesus, that with five loaves and two fish, that was amazing what you did. So Lord, son of David, I know exactly who you are. Have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Please heal her. She's coming to Jesus with faith, with a tangible faith. What a response, if you like, by the underdog of her society. What persevering faith. Is that how you grapple with Jesus? Or is it nice and polite? Lord, if it be thy will. But if it's not, it doesn't matter. She didn't pray like that. And so Jesus sees this woman's immense insight and trust and reliance. And he sees an opportunity for teaching. And he responds, doesn't he? Oh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. But we still haven't unpacked why this is going on. So let's pull back. Why does Jesus give her the silent treatment right at the beginning? And then in her, if you like, poverty, make her really, really work for it. That's what's happening, isn't it? Or it seems like it's happening. Why does he do that? If it's really because he doesn't think um, that his salvation is for the Gentiles or the Canaanites, he wouldn't have said his great commission. He wouldn't have healed his daughter at all. But he does. That's not the reason. So what is going on? I think in this dialogue, he sees this woman's faith in action as kind of a little not a little, an immense tutorial for his disciples who are with him, the future leaders of his church in the future. He knows what he's going to do in the end. He sees there is a great boldness and a confidence that needs to be drawn out of this faithful woman for all to see, because it will bless everyone. He uses this encounter to to declare that he's not just the lord of the Jewish people, but her lord, the lord of the arch nemesis, Canaanites, the underdogs, the ethnically not in, the racially marginalized, the culturally oppressed, the poor and far away. He is their lord too. He wants to get that across. And actually, if we continue in the story, this is phenomenal. We read great crowds come to him, bringing the very sick people, the outsiders, and and he healed them all. And everyone was amazed at what they saw, and they praised the God of Israel, because they weren't, they didn't worship the God of Israel. See the sudden shift that this woman has ignited. This is not the lost sheep of Israel anymore that he goes to after this. It's the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Something different has happened. In fact, if we go further, we see it in the next Deja Vu event, when he feeds 4,000. Virtually identical in every way to feeding the 5,000, apart from this one crucial fact. This time, he was doing it amongst the outsiders, the other side of the lake. Do you see how phenomenal this story is, and and how the faith of this woman unlocked what was about to happen from then on. This is a shift. This is a change. Now Jesus is breaking down barriers. He's pushing through prejudices. He's saying, come on, he's saying from now on we're going to do things differently. But why? How come the change of direction? Because this seemingly nobody woman grappled with him in faith Is your faith that alive she saw the big picture and called the not yet into the now she can't wait for Isaiah 2's in the last days she wants the joy news of Jesus now right here what a story and at that point she her little faith changes history This lady is not an underdog at all. This lady draws out what an amazing woman she is. And actually, everybody who looks on thinks, wow, I wonder if I would have responded that way. So how do we respond? Well, firstly, Jesus calls us to a grappling, persistent, never letting go of faith. If you think about it, Jesus already knows his kingdoms for all the nations. We've said that, but this story tells us he requires a hinge that opens the door to great fruitfulness. What's that hinge? A faithful, bold, confident, confident in Jesus, not a self, persistent person, persons, a church maybe, to make that happen. A person who isn't a religious superstar, but somebody who should have considered herself as an absolute nobody, an insignificant, inadequate. But as she grew more and more reliant on Jesus, each time he kind of rebuked her, eventually she displayed the humble poverty which God cannot ignore. When Jesus doesn't answer, when Jesus gives us no reply, not even a word, if Jesus seemingly ignores us, he is schooling us, friends, in the school of faith. Remember this, none of us will complain to God in the age to come that he took too long to answer our prayers. None of us will do that for those who trust in Jesus. We will be too busy praising him who subjected us to what we will think of as light and momentary frustrations in order to train us for eternal glory. So come to the prayer meeting. If that doesn't get you there, nothing will. Come to the Jubilee School of Faith tonight at 7.30, Hope House, Grange Road, Middlesbrough. And keep coming to the prayer meeting you need to stretch. I'm I'm, I'm not very good at this. My kids are better at this because they've been going to the gym. But stretch these muscles of faith month in, month out, week in, week out in the various prayer settings that we have. That was our first response. Second response, if you think you are culturally or ethnically or racially somehow different, or even inferior, or have little to offer in the rest of the church. Stop it. Stop it. Despite how other people viewed this lady, she knew something had changed, or rather someone had changed everything. She saw herself now Through this God-man, Jesus, making a way for her, a nobody, a racial outcast, now not as a spare part or an addition, but integral to God's big picture. And so are you, every one of you. Sadly, many people of other ethnic origins think they were somehow added into a white religion, a Western religion, or a British religion even the effects of colonialism, the empire, not the Star Wars empire, the uh, British empire, the effects of cultural imperialism and slavery have only added, sadly, to this misconception. But like this lady, you need to find yourself, we need to find each other in God's big story right from the start, which changes how you operate right to the finish in faith. Some of you may or may not know this. The first African Christian was an Ethiopian who encountered Philip while reading about Jesus in Isaiah. That is the origin of most of our Eritrean and Ethiopian brothers and sisters' faith, not Western missionaries. Africa spawned many of the early church fathers that have been a foundation for our Christianity that we preach at Jubilee. P- people like Augustine and Tertullian. Despite centuries of Western art depicting a white, blonde, blue-eyed Jesus, let's remember Christianity came from the Middle East. Jassim, Elham, Azad, Aman, Mushtaba, Sassan, Ibrahim, Said, Omed, others of you. Actually, You are closer to the origins of Jesus' story, much more than most of us. It'll be an honor praying for you tonight. Jesus' followers were first called Christians in Antioch, just 600 miles southeast of where Mahfash and Sarush are now. Iraq is home to one of the most oldest, continuous Christian communities in the world. Churches began there centuries before the foundation of Islam. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christian Muslims from a background in Iran. Severe persecution here is rife, as many of you will have experienced yourself firsthand, yet sprouting from that tiny seed. The Iranian church is the fastest-growing Christian movement in the world, praise God. (laughs) But we think and behave as if Christianity is a Western religion, a British religion. It is. It is that. And I thank all my British mothers and fathers who've nurtured me and seriously put up with me for all these years. But not exclusively. Not at all. What about some of you from India? Well, Christianity took root in India centuries before the Christianization of Britain. It is It is the Apostle Thomas, uh, the the doubting Thomas, who is believed to have brought the gospel to India in the first century. In the midst of a degrading caste system, the first church in India was a united one, uniting high and low classes, rich and poor, slaves and masters, and people of different racial backgrounds in uncomfortable, boundary-crushing fellowship still is today. Jubilee throughout the Bible, black and brown, and racially diverse people were right there at the beginning and always part of God's big plan. When God says to Adam, or Adam, which means humanity, when he says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and then subdue it, this was a hint of what was to come. It was a, it was a pointer to how things were meant to be which we read at the end of the book in Revelation, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So our second response is this. If we are to be the true church of God, heading heavenwards, as it were, all of us need to have an iron focus on this beautiful reality rooted in love, forgiveness, reconciliation, welcome, grace, flexibility. You are already good at this, but we need to press on in faith more, getting to know one another, inviting each other to eat and pray and talk, opening our homes to everyone and a willingness to cross over, as Jesus did, to the other side. Jubilee, racial recon- reconciliation and diversity in the church is not a problem to solve. Don't see it that way. But a joy and, opp- and an opportunity to become more and more Christ-like. Personally, it's probably the one of the most fun, the biggest privileges of my leadership. And I've still got big L plates on. So bear with me. And bear with many of us in the church. The Canaanite racial, ethnic, and religious outsider saw herself as integral, indispensable, critical, fundamental, intrinsic, essential part of God's story. And the point is, so must you, all of you, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever cards history has dealt with, dealt you or the generations before you in the past, the band could come on, that would be great. Corrie ten Boom, who was a German and was persecuted by Nazis for saving Jews, said, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. When I look out on Jubilee and see these flags mirrored in the people who are sitting in in these pews, that is phenomenal. I am receiving the impossible of God. And we want to see more. And we want to see more of our churches across Teesside see more. And we want to see nations, nations, exalt and praise this amazing God with us. And our response is persevering faith. Our response is stepping out in faith jubilee. Our response is stepping out, trusting Jesus, knowing right from the beginning that we are in. Not an underdog, but a child of God, a son and daughter of the King. If you stand, that'd be great. Thank you. If you could stand, if you can. And the third and final response Jesus heals. Yes. But we're going to pray about that tonight. So bring your friends and family and colleagues, and let's come expectant that God will move. See the lion. Of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. So they sang a new song. Saying you are worthy. To take the scroll. And to open its seals. Because you were slain. And with your blood. You per- and with your blood. You purchased for God persons. From every tribe and language. And people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom. Of priests. To serve our God and they will reign on the earth forever and ever let's stand, let's sing and let's pray, thank you Lord that you are good, thank you Lord that we are seeing what seems impossible unfold in our church and churches across Teesside, we thank you Lord for the many nations represented here and in Teesside and we pray Lord God more And more, come and find rest and shelter and joy in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you drew this lady in and drew her faith out to others in a way that caught their attention and catches our attention. And we pray, Lord God, more and more that we cling to you knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we draw, as we reach out to you, as we stay, take many steps or big steps, that you will come and empower and send us out so that we all can stand up and say, here I am. Send me. Spirit of God, fall on this church. Spirit of God, come And give us a vision for greater things. Spirit of God, when the world is at war, bring peace and reconciliation in the church that is a light to the world. Spirit of God, where there is conflict across our globe, come in your glory. Magnify your name in those settings and bring about the peace of Jesus Christ which surpasses everything. Come, Lord, have peace your way. Amen. Let's worship Jubilee.